Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. This week, Alyssa Mastromonaco, Grace Parra, Michaela Watkins, and special guest, former California Congresswoman Katie Hill, join me to tackle the following questions. Was Tuesday really all that super? How do you keep going when it seems like several worst case scenarios happen in your life all at once? Why is it so hard for lawmakers to keep up with all the ways that people can use the internet to exploit people? And finally, just how big is the West Coast's underground knitting community? All this and more on a brand new episode of Hysteria. I hope you didn't blink in the last week, because if you did, you might have missed the moment that the race for the Democratic nomination became a race between two men over 70. You might have also missed the mysterious disappearance of Elizabeth Warren or the race for the political media to pretend that they were the ones who knew how this was going to turn out all along. 2020 is weird already. So here to talk more about that is my friend, former White House Deputy Chief of Staff under President Obama and the vaccine for pundit disease, Alyssa Mastromonaco. Happy Awesome Wednesday. Happy, is that what it's called, the day after Super Tuesday? Awesome Wednesday? That's what I decided to call it. And then what's the Thursday after that called? I think we have to wait and see. (laughs) Splendid Thursday, followed surprisingly by Shit Friday. I don't know. I think Shit Friday is where we're headed. Shit Friday. Um, I have a question to kind of kick off our conversation today. Um, Mm. What do you think the minimum prison term should be for people who call it Jomentum? Okay, so look, it should be like 15 to life. And let me tell you why. Okay. Because everyone's forgetting that that is what Joe Lieberman called it going into the New Hampshire primary in 2004. And he most decidedly did not have Jomentum. Yeah. 
I, so I'm sorry. People are just not, they're not being historically accurate. There's already been Jomentum and it wasn't good. <laughs> I think that also people have really short memories when it comes to political news because things just kind of sift through so quickly. Like, remember how the president got impeached? When? Like, pretty recently. I think it was I think it was this year or yeah it oh, was in the, You mean before the pandemic? Yes, before the pandemic. Cool, before, cool, cool. before the plague uh which I'm smiling while I'm saying the word plague which is really fucked up. Like what is wrong with me? I'm broken. The, the, We're broken. The news has completely broken me. Okay. Um Alyssa, did you vote your face off on Tuesday? No, because I live in New York. Oh, that's right. I so voted, I did not vote my face off. Did you vote your face off? I voted my face off on Tuesday. I was voting all night. No, I wasn't voting all night, but um, I did vote. I uh, In California, you can mail in your ballot, and Josh and I did that. We we consulted a couple voting guides and researched who we were voting for, and we we cast our ballots and I dropped them in the mail yesterday. So our votes count, but probably not as much as they would have had we voted the day of, but that's okay. That's fine because you voted and that's all that matters. You are not disenfranchised. Yes, I'm not disenfranchised. Um, one thing that I did find a little bit uh, like disturbing and maybe a bad sign on Tuesday were the really, really long lines in Texas which was yeah. not good. Um, but the encouraging side of that is that people stayed in line for a really long time to vote. And also, I think Virginia turned in some record uh, participation on yeah, Tuesday. Yeah, it was crazy. It was like over a million something. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's exciting. And that's that's one thing that, you know, if you're somebody who wasn't hoping that Joe Biden would eventually be the nominee because you were worried that he wouldn't inspire enough people to defeat the president, well... There's your answer. There are enough he inspired people. something. He inspired enough people to show up to vote for a primary in Virginia. So, you know, it's not a total lost cause. Which is a battleground state in the general election. Yes, exactly. Unlike South Carolina, which is the state that uh, arguably kicked off the, oh God, I'm sorry, not the momentum, the not, the, 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 we'll have to come up with another word for it. Um, another oh, thing. Oh, the two-man race? Yeah, the two-man race. We'll get more into the two-man-ness <laughs> of it in a second. Um, another thing that happened on Tuesday is is Biden spent no dollars in Minnesota and won. I know. Um, that's crazy. Um, do you think it was the Amy Klobuchar effect? No, I'm going to go with the, well, you know what? Sure. Why not? Right. The club stands got up. They were like, our girl went for Biden. We were going to vote for her. So we'll vote for Biden. So yeah, I probably was. I also just think it was like the momentum of South <laughs> Carolina. It's like, there were just a lot of people waiting for him to give them a reason to vote for him. And he won decidedly in South Carolina. And, you know, so they're like, cool, we'll do it. Yeah, I also think, and I, I don't want to point, you know, I, I want people who are listening who are fans of Bernie Sanders to understand that I'm saying this from a place of um, of admiration. I feel like um, one of the jobs of Bernie Sanders as he was the front runner, Bernie Sanders and his surrogates, was to prove to the American people that he uh, was welcoming and he could work with people who he disagreed with and he could build uh, a huge coalition um, and that he could uh, bring people in who maybe were a little bit wary of him. And I 
don't think that he did that on the national stage. I don't think that his uh, people who stood up for Bernie did that on the national stage. And um, and Joe Biden, after South Carolina, people were like, oh, he can get people who are who have disparate uh, backgrounds and viewpoints to agree. So uh, let's go with him. I think people so want to defeat Donald Trump that right now they're just voting for who they think can do it. And let's not discount what we talked about last week, which is the pundit plague. Yeah. And God knows, though, so many of the pundits were jonesing for a Biden win. And, you know, like if you actually kind of like dissect it, I mean, he won one of the first four states and placed out of like the top three in the others. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and so they were like, this is it. He's back. He's here. And so I think that, uh, you know, now Biden has to prove that he can like build the organization because like, I mean, I don't want to say that what happened yesterday was a fluke. It's not a fluke by any stretch, but there was, oh my God, Aaron, am I going to get away without saying the momentum? But a lot of momentum propelled him into yesterday and that was very good for him. And so, but now he has to pick it up and, you know, he has to build the organization that could potentially actually beat Trump. Mm -hmm. Though there are Bernie and Elizabeth Warren are still both in the race and there's still both a lot of uh, states left in this contest. Mm -hmm. Uh, Alyssa, I recently saw a play called What's the What the Constitution Means to Me. Mm -hmm. And um, it's really good if anybody is listening and and you have a chance to see it. It's it's a really good one woman. Well, it's it's one woman and one man, but it's mostly one woman play. Um, And there's this one part where she says that um, her dad used to tell her that sometimes you have to choose between... um, getting one thing you want or getting no things that you want. And I think that when it comes to Joe Biden, what people really want is to beat Donald Trump. And they're worried that if they ask for too much, that they won't get any of it, Um, which is... They they might not be wrong. Yeah. I mean, that they might not be wrong. But at the same time, it's... I can kind of... I was telling you this yesterday. Um, If... My house were on fire because Donald Trump lit it on fire um, and there were two candidates to choose from. And one of them was like, we're going to put the fire out and we're going to take the matches away from people like Donald Trump so we can't burn your house down anymore. I'd be like, I prefer that candidate. I want the people to to put the fire out and also take the matches away. Um, but if the other candidate was like, look, we have we will put the fire out. We're not going to take the matches away, but we're definitely going to put the fire out. I would probably go with the people who would definitely put the fire out if I didn't have confidence in the people that were going to do more. And that's just to say that I think, although that isn't necessarily my thought process, I can understand people who retreated to a more moderate choice because really what they want to do is put the fucking fire out. Right. And I think that like for me personally, there's the difference between what I saw yesterday and how I feel. And Mm -hmm. so I think we're very clear on what we saw yesterday. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a democratic socialist. I believe in a lot of things. Um, But first and foremost, like we do have to be Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not something that can just be my like, like, I appreciate how I feel. But if the rest of America is feeling a different way, then like, you know, I'm not going to fucking tell them they're wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think the voices of people who are more progressive are 
just as important as they were when it appeared that the presumptive nominee was going to be a progressive. Because um, if you take a look at what happened to the Democratic Party platform in 2016, it did move to the left thanks to voices who are not centrist. And, you know, it is, I think, further to the left than it was before. And I think Joe Biden in his drive to build a coalition would be sensible to try to include people who um, maybe aren't centrist, but still have good ideas. Also, I want to, before we move on to the Warren part of the conversation, I just want to point out that, you know, even though Joe Biden might be somebody that it takes a little adjusting to get used to as the presumptive front runner, um, there is no arguing that yesterday Jill Biden clotheslined somebody. <laughs> Did you- That was unbelievable. Um, If you guys didn't watch, Joe Biden was on stage giving um, a speech, uh, an appreciation Super Tuesday speech, and a protester, um, an animal rights protester, stormed the stage. Jill Biden put her body in between the protester and her husband. It was heroic. A sight to behold. It was heroic. That was, like, was it the same, I think it was the same group. It may have been the same protester that did the same thing to Bernie last week. Yeah. At first I thought it was a Bernie protester, but no, it was about milk. Yeah, it's about milk. And Bernie's like from Vermont, so it really didn't register to me. I was like, what is going on? (laughs) So, the fuck? So strange. Um, Speaking of strange, the case of the mysterious disappearance of Elizabeth Warren in news coverage. Where did she go? Yeah, I wonder. I've been thinking about this for days and I'm not sure what happened. It's like I went to, you know, Joe Biden was the kind of limping, you know, former great politician just who was whose campaign was falling apart and all of a sudden he's the front runner and meanwhile nobody's talking about Elizabeth Warren at all um so but at the same time Elizabeth Warren isn't really turning in great results so what do you think happened well look I mean it's pretty like the problem is again hearkening back to last week when we talked about pundit disease like how the news reported fucking matters Mm -hmm. and they have been ignoring her for weeks at this point. And yesterday I was watching an unnamed cable channel and they literally had everyone, including Tulsi, on the screen, but, but Warren. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, I don't want to be that fucking cunt that's just always tweeting at, at networks being like, you're in hair, I'm all. Mm-hmm. So I like literally just emailed people that I knew that worked there and was like, you guys, this is really fucking bad. Um, because she outraised, I mean, she literally put Mike Bloomberg in a half Nelson and got him out of the race. Mm-hmm. What? terrible. Like, you want to talk about fucking karma? She literally clotheslined him and got him out of the race. And then he endorsed Biden. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I don't know. It's just the whole thing is like so terrible. But she, they, they just, it's like in the fall, she was surging. And then they were like, I don't know about this. And then suddenly for no reason, there is nothing that happened that changed who she was or what she was talking about. Mm-hmm. But suddenly it was just like, maybe if we stop talking about her, she'll go away. And it's hard to say that that's not kind of what happened. Yeah. I mean, there was some mainstream pundit disease people talking about how um, just kind of not talking about her at all. And the narrative was that Elizabeth Warren's campaign is taking a nosedive. You know, her 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 numbers are are bad. But then she had that incredible debate and suddenly she was polling second in at least one nationwide poll. And, and raised a shit ton of money. And raised a ton of money. And, you know, it's 
it was really confusing to me to see just kind of over and over again her speeches being cut away from on primary nights. Mm. Um, uh, and especially on the night of Iowa, there are a couple places that did not even carry her. I don't know. It was really strange. Um, I almost think... And then here's this other kind of troubling dynamic that's happening. Um, The idea that Elizabeth Warren, by staying in the race, is taking votes from Bernie, um, which is based on the assumption that a people who vote for Elizabeth Warren would go to Bernie if they weren't voting for her, which isn't true because people's people's choices don't necessarily make sense. Um, Right. If people choose, it's not like a game of, you know, politics isn't a game of love is blind where you sit in one pod and then you listen to the viewpoints from another, you know, through a wall that you can't see the other person in. People choose who they support based on whether or not they like someone in many cases. And just because, so it's just, I don't know. So there's the narrative that Elizabeth Warren staying in the race is somehow taking votes from Bernie and giving Biden the nomination. What do you make of that, Alyssa? Um, I don't think anyone should be telling Warren to get out of the race. I mean, she's a smart person. She's going to make the decision. You know, she's she's here for the great of, greater good of the republic, you know. But I do think that there is mathematically, I don't even know the word for this, but it's like, you know, I... It's hard to know whether Biden would have had the night he did if Amy and Mayor Pete hadn't have cleared the path for him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So, I I mean, it's really hard to know what the impact of people getting in or out and endorsing someone else. It's hard to know what that really does. And I would prefer to not play pundit plague mm-hmm. and just let her do her thing, because I don't think it's I do think it's really hard to know what the outcome of any of these people getting out and endorsing actually means. Yeah, I think that's true. We can never really I mean, I saw that a lot yesterday, too. Half of pundit plague is is looking back and trying to be like, oh, based on these reasons, this was the only way that things could have turned out. You know, and the other half is based on what's happening now. This is the only way things can turn out. And most of them, most of the time, it's just completely full of shit. Um, Let's go from playing pundit, though, to playing um, vice president fantasy league. (laughs) Okay. Um, So who would you like to see as the running mate of one of the of either of the two, I guess, now media anointed male frontrunners? Well, I think I think that either one of them should look at Stacey Abrams. I think if Elizabeth Warren is not the nominee, that people should look at Elizabeth Warren. I think that if either one of the two male frontrunners doesn't choose a woman or person of color, they literally have misread the room in such a catastrophic way that, uh, you know, the, you know, a percentage of the Democratic Party is not going to get what they want in whoever the nominee is. Right. Yeah. And the one thing that we learned in 2016 is it matters who I think I one thing I feel I have learned since 2016, because I'm not a pundit, I'm just a person is that it matters. You know, when you have that kind of division, I really do think that whoever the nominee is has a responsibility to show that they heard, see, and feel what the rest of the party cares about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I, and I'm going to echo your Stacey Abrams uh, 
fandom because I think that she, I mean, not fandom, but support because I think, I think she would be a great running mate for either of those people. And I think that she's really exciting to young people. She's really Mm -hmm. exciting to people who are, were canvassing in 2018. She's just really, she's an exciting, she's an exciting. And also, have you ever seen her speak? Yes. And, and she speaks her mind. If the one thing that people are craving is authenticity and someone who gives zero fucks, like, I just think that that's definitely Stacey. Yeah. And imagine her just eating Mike Pence in a debate. Like it would be literally, we would have to get all of the, like all of the discovery channel animal memes to just like figure out what kind of animal she was going to be and how big her jaw would have to be to eat his (laughs) giant head and mother. Um, I would have to be scraped off of the floor with a human size spatula after watching that because geez, um, I'm, you know what, if she's the vice presidential nominee, can we commit right here and now to watching that debate together? Yes. I'll fly yeah. to wherever you are and we'll watch it and together. Same, because I just feel like, you know, that'll be a real moment for America. I think it'll be great. Um, well, let's move on really quickly from our coverage of Super Tuesday and what was it? Fabulous Wednesday. Um, awesome Wednesday. Awesome Wednesday. <laughs> to, to, to toasts and roasts. Um, I'll start with a quick toast. I know you have a toast too, Alyssa. Um, mm-hmm. My first toast is to two women named Shelly McNamara and Yvonne Farrell. They are the recipients of this year's Pritzker Architecture Prize, which Woo! is the Nobel of the architecture world. Um, they are the first women to win it. They are from Ireland. They run Grafton Architects, and they design brutalist buildings that are also inviting, which I learned yesterday from listening to NPR. And then I was like, what would that look like? And I Googled it, and they are brilliant architects. They design very beautiful buildings. So congratulations to Farrell and McNamara. They, um, they're they awesome. They're, front, they're, they're pioneers. It's a little bit of a sad, aggressive story story because you'd think that women would have won before this, but uh, here we are. So congratulations to them. I want to toast the fucking bachelorette. Okay. We have a new bachelorette, Claire Crawley. Do you know what's new, different, and interesting about her, Erin? I think I do, but tell me. She's 38. Whoa. She is 38 years old. She has appeared in Bachelor in Paradise, Bachelor Winter Games. She was in Juan Pablo's season. She's a hairstylist from Sacramento. And I am so excited to see what the season will bring because this one has been an utter belly flop. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's really good to have a 38-year-old woman as the Bachelorette because A, it seems a little bit more realistic to a lot of the demographic of people who watch The Bachelorette. Yes. Um, a lot of very, very smart women watch that very, very dumb show. And a lot of women who are more highly educated tend to wait a little longer to get married. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Actually, like I sometimes I watch The Bachelorette or The Bachelor now and I think like, you're 24. You're, it should be illegal for you to get married. See, you and I'm feeling baby. exactly. And I'm feeling stoked because I think I was actually 38 when I got married. Oh my God, you're just like Claire. I'm just like Claire. And also for me personally, I felt like The Bachelorette made real strides with Hannah Beast. You know, she stood up for herself. You know, I've had sex and I know Jesus still loves me. Like I just felt it was so great. And then this season was such a backslide that I'm uh-huh. hoping that uh, 
I'm hoping that we bring it back to the real pinnacle it was. <laughs> I'm hoping so too. Okay, so a toast to the Bachelorette and a toast to female architects and a roast to everything else. <laughs> and we see you, Elizabeth Warren. We see you, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, Alyssa, everything could be changed by the next time I talk to you. So um, good luck with everything in the next week. Yeah, talk to you then. Okay, bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix zero-sugar hydration drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe mushroom coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I just like, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast, no dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito, (laughs) not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount, text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. And welcome back. We are uh, at the part of the show where I'm not sitting alone at a table anymore talking to somebody on a phone in New York. <laughs> so it's it's great. I'm not lonely. I'm less lonely. I'm really excited about today's show because we have a special guest who, if you're listening and you don't know who she is, then there's something wrong with you. <laughs> who are you? Yeah, there's something deeply wrong with you. Um, for, but let me introduce the women sitting at the table with me first. Uh, first, she's a writer on the forthcoming CBS show, Broke. It's Grace Para. Good morning or afternoon or evening. 
evening, everybody. Whatever time of day it is. Whatever time of day it's it is. It's every time of day somewhere. It is every time of day somewhere. That's the broadest statement I've ever said. <laughs> but, but alas, here we are. And I'm delighted to be here today, guys. It's a. It's going to be a good one. Yeah, it is. It's. I mean, I'm hyping it, but it's going to be a good one. Um, yeah. Should we just hype it the whole time and not actually do the episode? <laughs> yeah. We're all the flavor flavor. Yeah. <laughs> are you ready? <laughs> Up next, she's an actor who you can see on the new film, The Way Back, Michaela Watkins. Hello. Woo. It's good to be back, too. It's been a minute. Yeah. It has been. Well, yeah. you've been, like, working. Oh, well. Being you know. a movie star. Oh, yes. Oh, just <laughs> just working in five-degree weather and all night, doing night shoots. That's here? Okay. Where were you? In the Catskill Mountains. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. Dirty dancing, five too. degrees here. <laughs> good, good point. Good point. Yeah. People would... Cars would be crashing. Like people would yeah. not know what to do. Oh, with Celsius! Themselves. I yeah. only speak in Celsius. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, no. I was in the Catskill Mountains in the middle of nowhere doing a werewolf movie. So, oh, was, yeah. I was actually going to joke. Is it a werewolf movie? Oh, were you going to say it like that? I, I hope, <laughs> um, like a real bitch. And I would be like, yes, yes, it was a werewolf. It was a werewolf movie. That's amazing. Uh, but it, it was really fun. Do you get to be a wolf in it? I can't tell you. Oh, oh I want to know. You'll never know. I'll never tell. <laughs> And last but not least, our special guest today, she is a former congresswoman and forever a badass. It's Katie Hill. Yay! Yay. Welcome to the studio. I'm so excited. Thanks for having me. Um, How are you doing? Um, I'm okay. You know, I think uh, it has been a hell of a last year, really. Mm -hmm. And um, I I don't know if you know this, but my brother passed away recently, too. So that's been... It's been kind of a series of things. But I'm coming out of the other side, I think, hopefully. And, um, you know, we just... Got to keep going. So Jesus fucking Christ! We're, we're yeah. so I cannot believe that. I'm. I'm just my my sincere. Thank you. Condolences. Yeah. It's I, been a lot. I don't. Thank you. I'm sorry. How, you. How, how's how's your family? Um, they're you know again doing okay. We went to Big Bear this last weekend. Which oh, was, so, that's fun. Um, that was like the first like family kind of. All right, we're trying to you know do some fun things and I went snow well I skied my sister snowboard oh uh, she's cooler than I am so um, <laughs> but yeah I was good sometimes fun is like a fake it till you make it yeah. sort of activity where uh-huh. you have to just like I'm telling I'm yourself, going to have fun yes I'm yeah. going to have fun and yeah. then and then let it fall into totally. place as it will yeah. mm-hmm. well I'm so I'm feeling extremely lucky and happy that you're here oh, and thanks. that you're talking into a microphone because <laughs> I think a lot of people um go through difficult times in their lives, not to the extent that you have an, at uh, at the scale that you have publicly, but to see somebody carry themselves through it is really important, I think. And so, Thanks. you know, it's good that you're here for, you know, for yourself and also for other people who are listening. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. And you're continuing to be involved in politics. You're not letting it knock you out. So can you talk a little bit about how you're continuing to be involved? Yeah. So I started a PAC, a political action committee called Her Time. Um, And the goal is to support candidates who, first of all, our focus is on women and young women, but also on people who are really representative of their communities, who are not your typical politician. They're people who, um, you know, who I think are especially women who are going to change the face of politics forever. And to get the long-term systemic changes that need to happen for Mm -hmm. us to get to true equality, um, it's going to take parity, first of all, like we actually have to have true equal representation, but um, it's also going to take people, women, you know, women especially, I think, are going to be the saviors of this country and hopefully the world. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that um, I was thinking about and that you've talked about a little bit is how the idea of perfection kind of stands in the way 
of getting a real diverse group of people who have a diverse group of life experiences into government. Yeah. Um, so what do you think is behind the obsession with having female politicians be perfect? That's a great question. And I think it's that it's over and over again, you see that for a woman to achieve something that a man can do relatively easily. We have to be the best of the best of the best every single time. And um, I think that that's the case in politics just as much as anything else, maybe even more so. Um, because, you know, for some reason, men are just forgiven for things more mm -hmm. easily. I think that they, it's the same kind of notion of a boys will be boys, except it's like men will be men. They can be shitty and it's fine. Mm -hmm. um, and I just don't think that we've gotten there with women um, even remotely. Uh, but, you know, it does keep people out of politics. If you think that you, you know, as far as I'm concerned, all of us have a past of some kind. And if you haven't been spending your entire life preparing to become a politician, living in a way that you have this completely clean background that no one's ever going to find anything, no one's ever going to know because you haven't done anything. I, you know, I, I don't I can't even imagine having lived my life that way. But um, if you haven't done that, then I think there's there's a very real fear of what is going to come out during the course of this. I, I mean, I speak to women who are thinking about running all the time, and that's exactly what they say. Mm. Well, to that point, I think the idea of women needing to be perfect is also ingrained in us internally. I mean, I feel deterred from potentially running for office for a number of reasons, one of them being like, oh, God, who knows what might be in my past or what I've done. And uh, and I think we always hold ourselves up to a standard that is completely uh, inachievable. Right. Mm -hmm. Unachievable? Mm -hmm. Without okay. achievability. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's yeah. it, Grace. I think you nailed it. Achievability. Yeah. No, but I think it's a great point too about how the way we forgive men, and I feel like, I feel like that can start to change on so many, such a myriad of levels where we hold men accountable mm -hmm. more and more. I mean, we sort of saw it with Chris Matthews. This this yeah. week has been yeah. kind of nice, but I just mean even in terms of what we're putting out. In, in media, mm -hmm. in, in terms of TV, you know, we always have like these, oh, you big dumb cluck married yep. to your perfect wife. And yeah. I just, I just feel like we have to find that parody everywhere. Totally. Start showing people that men have to be accountable for everything. Yep. Mm -hmm. A perfect example is just the study that I think er, that came out recently about how men are, even younger men are, uh, are down with the idea of equality, but they still won't vacuum. They still won't do their chores mm -hmm. and in equal measure. And I think that, you know, maybe that's, that's, a little bit sideways of uh, perfection, but, you know, the idea that you have to be perfect in your career, you have to, you know, work as hard, if not harder than everyone else in the office, mm -hmm. and you still need to take care of the kids primarily. You need to be the one who carries the weight at home. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that's, that's the reality that we're living in still. And um, until that changes, then we're going to be um, we're going to be fighting an uphill battle. Mm -hmm. A lot of that is emulated behavior, too, mm -hmm. right? If we grow up seeing our mothers doing dishes and doing laundry and, you know, doing those sort of female-centric behaviors, then it's impossible to imagine a man doing that. Yeah. Well, and, and for men, too, if they've had their moms picking up for yeah. them, like, it's it, you have to completely teach them. <laughs> and my, my friend Jill always says, like, I, I'm such a great dad. Like, I'm doing, I'm such a good dad. I, I go to work, yeah. I come home, I tuck my kid into bed and read him a story, but oh as a God. mom, I'm failing. Oh. <laughs> um, Going back to the Chris Matthews thing, though, I think that even his retirement um, is a really good example of kind of the the disparity between yeah, like why don't you bow out? You he know? was doing all that stuff publicly, mm -hmm. like he was he was publicly a jerk 
at, mm-hmm. at his job. His mm-hmm. job was to be on camera and speak to people, mm-hmm. and he was a dick. Mm-hmm. And like he wasn't good. He wasn't good at his job. He would intimidate women that he was interviewing. Laura Bassett, who is a, mm-hmm. a great writer, great reporter, mm-hmm. wrote about him a couple years ago about what a creep he was, and then this past week wrote in GQ about how named it, him. It was him. Mm-hmm. Well, and what and what he did to Hillary Clinton. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean that mm-hmm. that just got totally erased. What he did to Elizabeth Warren, bullying her about the <laughs> Bloomberg thing. It was just over and over again, all of these things happen publicly. And I think that if you're a person who has uh, a pile of dipshittery mm-hmm. on your resume and you're a man, you can still kind of plow forward. Mm-hmm. And and the mm-hmm. thing that, that, Katie, your story kind of uh, made my insides just sad was that it was like these were things that happened in your private life Mm -hmm. that were never intended to be public and that weren't affecting the job the job that you were doing um can you take us through i know this is probably something that you've gone through over and over again in your head but just for our listeners can you take us through the way that you feel about your resignation now in retrospect? Do you think you did the right thing and would you do it again the same way if you had it to do over again? I do think I did the right thing. I think for a number of different reasons. The first, I I guess most, you know, important is that I, you know, I I can't see having gone through just not knowing how much more would be coming, right? And especially when the the right-wing media and the political operatives in the district had made it so clear that they were going to continue to just hammer on this forever and ever and ever until they got me to step down or they, you know, forced something else, right? And and <clears throat> when my husband, we, what we knew was that there were 700 files, whether it was images or text messages or something else, and I had no idea what those were. But I knew that whoever had their hands on them were people who would completely spin them out of context. They were things that, you know, I, picture the pictures, I didn't even know they existed. Um, so when you have your your bitter ex, soon-to-be ex-husband, um, and they're working with the right-wing media, and they're working with the people who are trying to take your seat back, you know, to, trying to unseat you, like... You just, like that's a that's this huge thing looming over your head, and then on top of that, I'm going through the divorce. My um my I, I'm on these leader in these leadership roles in Congress, and you can't I so much of my job as the freshman leadership rep as the vice chair on oversight was to be a public face for you know the role you know for for the class or for the committee, and I no long I knew I could no longer do that. I knew that I could no longer be. Um, as active in Congress because I would be a liability to other people, and um, and then it's like, well, how? What am? What am I? What can I offer? What can I continue to do? And and taking a back seat and just being a vote to me wasn't, you know, that's not the reason I came there. And um, and I think the last thing is that I, as far as being a liability, we were going into impeachment, and um, I was taking up a ton of the space in terms of the news and and. Um, you know, I was, I was something that the that Fox News could point to about like, look at how morally degenerate the liberals are, and mm. um, and that was that was a big liability for people, you know, in swing districts, my friends, my you know, red to blue colleagues, and um, and I didn't want to be that, so mm. so I think I did the right thing. Yeah. Why yeah, do you think they were so fixated on you? I mean, it's it's like 
I, I know intuitively that you are not the only person in Congress who has something in their past that they wouldn't want everybody to look at in photographic form. So why were they so fixated on, was it a crime of, I mean, I'm using crime with like air quotes, even though it does feel crimey to Mm -hmm. me. Uh, Was it a crime of opportunity? Wait, can I guess before you answer? (laughs) Is it because you threaten the status quo? Is it because that if they have women who can go out there and be audacious in their lives and run for office, that that all of a sudden thwarts the, the equilibrium of the power, which has always been towards the men? I mean, I certainly think so. I think that that's a huge part of it. And that's one of the things that has made me so determined to stay out in front in, in you know, in as many ways as I can, not because I, um, because it's easier because I like it, because honestly, it pretty much sucks every time you go out in front and you go, you guys know this too, but like you're a target, right? And, but I, I do think one of the interesting things is that I have nothing, there is no value in attacking me anymore, right? Like I don't, they don't have anything to gain by doing that, but they do just incessantly. So anytime I I appear, it's like they they just can't stand the fact that I haven't gone away with what they've done. They're like, you need to be hiding in shame. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that that's something that is really indicative of, of the way that they want to tear down women. And, but, you know, the other thing in terms of why I think that they were so fixated on me and on, you know, what had happened was that they saw it as an opportunity to um, to undermine the Me Too kind of movement. They saw it as an opportunity to, um, you know, to, to, to fixate on something that was sexualizing, right? Like I was... I was, I'm only the second bisexual person who's ever been elected mm-hmm. to Congress. And like, this is, you know, it's a fetishized kind of thing. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, and it's misunderstood. Totally. And so, um, you know, I, I, it's, it's way catchier headlines than uh, you can get in almost any other situation. And um, there's like this weird, creepy, like fantasy kind of ask, oh my God, the disgusting messages. And like, oh, what, can you give God. us examples? Oh, lots of calls about me and AOC having, you know, threesomes with people and like, but like really disgusting graphic, like ways that they leaving messages for my poor, like young staff to listen to, to oh have to listen God. to uh, that. Yeah. It's just leaving like, messages on your office phone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that was actually you bringing up AOC or them bringing up AOC kind of made me want to, that kind of dovetails into the next question. Like it seems like, or the next, I guess, point, um, it seems like a lot of, there's a part of conservatism that can't quite understand their attraction to powerful and outspoken women. And I, it's not even just sexual. It's just an attraction. Mm-hmm. Um, they can't reconcile it. And the only way for them to process it is is by making it obscene yeah. and deciding that it's something that... So th- that way they get to experience these women sexually, mm-hmm. but also like wag their You're fingers at them yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. Um, God, I wish I wish phone calls had like when you could just hit call, you know, caller ID or whatever. It would just through the whole pipeline, just spray pepper spray back. That would be wonderful. If somebody like could that. invent that, that'd be wonderful. Elon Musk. <laughs> He's a listener. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sure. Maybe Grimes is. I don't if, know. If, if your phone number is on a list, like, <laughs> somebody can hit like pepper spray. Yeah. Was it mostly men leaving messages or was it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's. Mm-hmm. That's definitely. So- there were a few. I mean, don't get me wrong. There were some women, but like not definitely not the overwhelming majority. Were you ever afraid that somebody was going to hurt you? Oh, yeah. I mean, there were there were trucks that were, you know, like these big black trucks that were following my mom around oh, you know, looking what? for me and stuff like that in the district. Yeah, oh. um, there were I, I stayed kind of out of the public eye. Like I had 
Um, they they arranged special security for me when I went to the airport for the first time to go back to, um, you know, to L.A. from D.C. And, yeah, there, there was a while. I mean, there were a lot of threats. Did you find support in Congress? Like, could you look to your... Could you look to Nancy? Could you look to others to say, you know, help? What do I do? This is terrible that I'm being besieged. Um, I mean, yes, they were, they were, they were there, but there was also, I think it was a, it, it's just a very isolating experience of mm-hmm. like you have to make this decision on your own, and um, you have to, you know, I wasn't getting any pressure to resign from any of my colleagues, but mm-hmm. you also, you know, that like there are only a certain number of people that can openly come to your defense. Mm-hmm. And they did. Mm-hmm. But there's there are a lot who um, who might have seen it as more of a political risk, especially, again, the ones in the tougher seats. And um, and, you know, I didn't want to be I didn't want to put anyone in danger mm-hmm. of, you know, my I, I couldn't stand that if like my whatever situation is in some way used against them in their reelection. And that's just, you know, that'll be another piece of guilt that's kind of hanging over my head forever. And as as you begin a term for the first time in Congress, is there are there any guidelines for dealing with these kinds of oh my things? Gosh, no. I mean, everybody knows that Congress people are put in the spotlight and mm-hmm. it would seem that in order to protect especially, you know, more vulnerable Congress people who come from from minority representation, whether it be female or the LGBTQ community or, you know, minority communities that aren't as represented that there should be protections in place to just prepare you for what happens if something like this occurs, not in exactly the same way, yeah. of course, but I, I don't know that there are protections in place, and I think that there no, should be. No, and, and I don't know what that is, right? right like, right, I, don't right. Know, I don't know how you how you create that, um, but I do think that this is, you know, mine's a totally new situation, right? right. Republicans got it down. They just go deny, <laughs> deny, <laughs> deny. Well, deny, that's deny, a good or, point. Yeah. Or say, like, yep, and, mm-hmm. you know, that's, yeah. the, that's the other part, I mm-hmm. think, is that, um, or just say, yeah, you know, I screwed up, I'm sorry, and I'm going to keep going. I, I back Trump. Like, there's just not the—and mm-hmm. and I think that I, I really do think, and, you know, po- the the early polling that we were doing suggested I had enough of a margin that I, I, I probably could have stuck it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't, you know, to me that wasn't the right call, and, and I'm glad I did it. The only kind of concern I have, though, is, like, making sure it stays blue. Yeah. And, and the question is, like, by helping Christy Smith, like, am I— Am I hurting her? Right? Mm-hmm. Like I don't know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. So well, I was at that announcement at that house where you the event where oh, you mm-hmm. had introduced her yeah. for the first time and it was very emotional. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody there was completely is just completely behind you and supported you. And and I think when you introduce Christy, there's probably a moment of just like, oh she now. Mm-hmm. I don't do I have to get to know my new mommy? Yeah. <laughs> um, and 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 you know, I and and I remember you saying I would only step down if I knew that she was mm-hmm. going to step in. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think everybody sort of leaned forward and yeah. we're like, oh, okay, well, if you endorse her. And then she, you know, she she spoke so eloquently. She's so strong. She's yep. got a lot of, you know, heft and and, and um, experience behind her. And, and she was wonderful. And I think she, she charmed everybody in that room. But there was such this layer of sadness, yeah. you know, and... And I think it was before your your brother had oh, yeah. passed. Yeah, and before. so um, it, it it's it, it's just uh, confounding the year that you've had. But also, I I I I just think that was such a, a strong move. And I wonder, do you ever think about um, 
okay, what would, what would it look like if I did and if I didn't? And if Christy had said no in that moment? Oh, gosh. Yeah. If she'd said no, that she wasn't going to run, then I, then I would have really had to rethink things because there wasn't, there honestly was not anyone even remotely close to, mm-hmm. um, to what I thought she could do, especially because we'd campaigned together before, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's going to be hard enough with somebody who, you know, fortunately, a lot of the campaign operation that we had before was able to kind of roll into this. And she hired a lot of the people who worked on my campaign, tons and tons of the volunteers, like they know what they're doing. So that's, you know, a big help. But it's also um, the 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 runoff is going to be in May. Mm-hmm. And the so we have a Democratic leaning district so now. She survived last night. She did. Yeah. And, and we we knew she was going to make it to the top two. Mm-hmm. But um, but it's a Democratic leaning seat now or, or district now. But in a in a weird special election kind of time frame, it, it, it turns into a Republican leaning district again, mm-hmm. like an R plus four. Shit. So um, it's like that's the part that I'm worried about is, you know, I think she'd win. She will win again in November, mm-hmm. almost certainly, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I guess you never know. And the the way that the vote broke down last night was a I didn't love it. But um, but, you know, I'm I'm worried about her potentially losing in the special and then kind of the disruption that that would cause. And also, you know, I just think it would be terrible for us to have fought so hard for this district to flip mm-hmm. and have won by so much, right? Mm-hmm. Like we didn't, it wasn't a question. It no. was, and, and like the re-election was looking like it was going to be a, like a massive landslide, right? Um, but it was now, you know, now to to go backwards like that, the question that I have is like, you know, what responsibility do I have for that? And um, so I don't know. It's not your fault that you generated a lot of excitement. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is is your fault that people really like it. It is, but it's not your fault that that you inspire people. I mean, you just, you were being you and that's what people found so inspiring. Mm -hmm. And I think Christy can can bring that too. And I think if everybody, I had never met you before I was knocking on doors for you. and, And I think that it was, the idea of this of this place turning blue and and bringing people out of their homes on election day and saying like can I help can I drive you can you yeah. you know bringing and, people out of Los Angeles uh, on election day for like a long drive up to an outside of and, and in the weeks before people I, were canvassing people I hosted were, a town hall for Katie mm-hmm. as well and I was surprised that like half the audience was like LA Hollywood types it was really <laughs> I'm not surprised because uh, I just people really left LA yeah. to come to come support you and I mean I, I guess the question that I have is because you you do have this 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 fan base, you know, this community of people who really support you. Um, has it been difficult to talk to the supporters? Obviously, the detractors have you know dealing with them is their their, their own. I mean, thing, fuck them. If, yeah. uh, fuck them exactly. Yeah. But but for the supporters, what what do you what do you say now that you're you know you're, you're shifting gears? Yeah, I mean that's that has been the hardest part, right? Is that there are a lot of people who who I think have, like you said, there's a sadness, right? Or people who felt like they did so much. And they were really, truly behind it. And to see it go away, to see it kind of crumble is, you know, there's a there's something that you left. There's a part of you that you left with this campaign or or that it elevated you by so much. People are like people said, you know, I never cared about politics. And then I got involved in your race and I felt like I felt seen. I felt like represented, truly represented. And and now like that's shattered. And um, and I don't you know. What I what is the hardest is to be able to say like listen you know we have to keep it shows that we have to keep fighting that much more yeah and I was gonna say if it's any consolation I think what is left in its place is a iron cauldron 
bubbling full of anger <laughs> and action and in in that place. And I think, you know, I think that was our innocence. It was an innocence to think that, um, a, you know, a woman, a young woman who can be herself, who's intelligent and represents her community, can go to Congress and be left alone. Mm-hmm. You're not part of that political infrastructure. Mm-hmm. We see it with Warren. She's being yep. erased. She's being evaporated. Yep. They try to do that to you. And we're just, and all it, it, it does is it makes, it fortifies us and it makes us stronger and it makes us less innocent and it makes us more clear on what yep. we need to mm-hmm. do. I hope so because, it, and that's the, you know, the book that I'm working on next is, and, and I'm having, it's coming out August 18th because that's the 100th anniversary of suffrage, of ratification of the 19th. And it's a, for me, it, it needs to be a call to action. Mm-hmm. What's what's happened with, you know, a historic number of women who are running for president, so qualified, so good. Um, and and now we're down to, you know, it's going to be men in their 70s, right? Oh, and, you know, like we're going to we're going to get behind whoever it is. And mm-hmm. and because we have to, we have to. But but it's like, fuck, you know, like yeah. all of this, this wave of women and then. And I do worry. I do worry about like the what it's going to look like in the in the midterms and and the midterms after this, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like in twenty, we have redistricting. We've got a lot that we should be concerned about for you know, especially if if we do win the White House, which I hope we do. You all, you always see a correction back from that in mm-hmm. the in the following midterm. So what I love hearing, Katie, is your. Um, focus still on the political system. You know, I, I think that in a if I were in your position, I'm sure many people would just be like, I'm done with politics. That's yeah. it. I have no faith in the system anymore. I don't want to encourage anybody to run for elected office. It, it, it's a sham. The whole thing is, you know, like Michaela's referencing, it's it's not uh, it's not for me. You know, I'm not part of the system. So how do you maintain that positivity about the the, the political system that we have and democracy in general, given what you've been through? The only way that you change it is by taking it over, right? And mm-hmm. the and and the only way that that happens is by people showing up and continuing to do so. And I knew, still know, that if I if I said that, if I said fuck this and I'm out, then like how many people? What's what's the what's the butterfly effect of how many other people that that dis you know that that get disenfranchised by that? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you know instead it can have the opposite impact where it is galvanizing, where it is like you know we're we're, we're over and over again. We see we see forward movement for equality or for women in general, and then you have this backslide. and And I think for you know we saw it with Trump. We thought we were we were about to have the first woman president, and then fucking Trump happened. And then you know you see this like really big win for women in the in the midterms, and then you see what happened to me. And you've got the the Me Too movement moving forward, and then you have you know major setbacks with with people who aren't convicted or people who don't have um, you know aren't held accountable or come back into the into the light with like no real um, ever having even apologized. And then I think, so this is another one of those examples where like we, we don't have it where we think we do and we have to just keep pushing forward. We have to keep pushing forward and and letting up for even a second isn't acceptable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, the kind of enforced expectation of perfection on women who are in the public eye is something that makes women maybe not want to enter public life. Um, it's something I, I would never run for Congress, partly because I'm like, no, <laughs> too yeah. much stuff, too much stuff. And it's like, what is the antidote to that? You know, I think that people who are like thoughtful and engaged should think about running for office. But what is the antidote to like, how do you get out there as somebody who had the worst case scenario happen to them and say, look, 
it might also happen to you, but do it anyway. Like, I do say that. Yeah. And I, and I say t- when women ask me about, you know, they're thinking about running ahead and I, and I'm, I'm flattered and honored that they do ask me, especially because like, if, if it were me, I would be like, well, that's really terrible. I don't want to be taught. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be talked out of it because I would be kind of, I, I would think that that would be kind of the response. But, um, but I am like, I can't, I can't promise you anything about how you're going to be treated because you should expect the worst. And um, and we need fighters. We need people who are able and, and willing to stand up and take that and um, and know that you you are not going to come out of it unscarred. And I think any women in politics would, any woman in politics would tell you that. Mm-hmm. Um, probably most people in politics would say that you're, you know, you're scarred in some capacity, but my God, I know it's worse for women. And, um, and I think that that's, that that's part of why we need people to keep doing it, and I and I do think that 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 I that I, perceptions are changing with younger people, um, and we saw that significantly with you know what happened with me versus even leading up to the election. Part of I think why we had such a big turnout and um, and a big margin of victory was because of young people who were who who had a chance to vote for somebody who was like them, and. Um, you know, so I so I'm hopeful that as the electorate continues to kind of our generation and and the next generation continue to kind of age into um, voting and make it part of their DNA and make it part of their ritual, um, then that will make it more possible for regular because we want regular people. We mm-hmm. want people who have a history, who have, you know, who have made mistakes, who have lived a life. And who are who not life just, virgins, which is exactly. a phrase that I, I use Oh, all I haven't time. heard that before. Yeah, I like life that, virgins. Though. I think yeah. you introduced me to that. Yeah. You're trying to make fetch happen I'm over trying here, to make Greg. fetch happen, but with life virgins. <laughs> you know, uh, the Katie, in this last um, question made me think that maybe the antidote, or do you guys think that the antidote that we're moving towards is is uh, potential candidates getting ahead of what they have in their past and just saying it all? Yeah. Hey, so Snapchat 2016. It's you like might Obama seen, saying he smoked pot. Yeah, you know? Exactly. I tried to do that. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like without getting into the f- the freaking details of my sex life. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I, you know, do, is that what we want? Is that the like, I don't know that the antidote is like you need to. I do think that there needs to be some level of like people should have a, a degree of privacy. Of we shouldn't we shouldn't expect. I mean, I felt like I ran probably the most transparent and like honest and forthright campaign about who I am. And, you know, I had, especially with the Vice documentary and like they followed us around with cameras, Mm -hmm. totally unfiltered. It got me into trouble plenty of times, but like I was very genuine about who I was. And, and then for, so yeah, I think you, you should get ahead of it. And you don't hurt people. I mean, like, like one could argue, well, Trump is very genuine. He, you know, he shows himself as an ass and he's an ass. And so therefore, but it's like, but he's a hurtful, angry, awful, vindictive ass who kills people and puts children in cages. It's like you are living your personal life. You're not hurting anybody. Yeah. Um, And, uh, you know, I know that there's a gray area Mm -hmm. where it starts to get into the, you know, into work, work related situations. But, but that aside, I mean, before you even ran, Mm -hmm. like, it's your personal life and you didn't hurt anybody. And, and I, I think there's something that's so interesting that that has happened because of you, which is you have moved the needle because it, now it's normalized. You can't undo Katie Hill. Mm-hmm. We can't not like have that. no. We we can't have <laughs> not can't had our first bisexual um, congresswoman. 
that can't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, who's who's also has negotiated the properties of an open marriage. <laughs> like God. by that alone, you should be a lawmaker. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that's. I don't know like that we should use my marriage as an example for anything. But, you know, <laughs> but other I'm, than how to <laughs> how to how to leave in a freaking flame of glory. <laughs> Very good. But there you go. I mean, you got in and you got out. And um, and and I guess the next person is just going to be easier. And and so thank you for being the first. Yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah, you, you're you're <laughs> setting brave. a path towards towards redemption, I think, mm-hmm. for for people, but primarily for women who have, for whatever reason, had parts of their private life exposed. I mean, we saw, I think, you know, Monica Lewinsky is, is an example of somebody oh, yeah. who was just pushed through in a really incredible and, and you know, thought-provoking and graceful way. Totally. She's um, actually one who I talked to very really? quickly yeah. after it, it happened because... Did she reach out to you? She did. Through Yeah, actually. And I don't know how she got my contact info, but yeah, she was one of the early ones to reach out just because she'd been... Um, I mean, public shaming Red State is, posted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that's true. I had, yeah, I had... Everyone had my contact info. Good, good point. But, um, yeah, she, she was, she was just great. And, um, and I think she's, she's working on some great projects and, uh, and, you know, we all, I think we are shaped by our experiences, especially the traumatic experiences. Well, I know we are. Um, and for her now she's, she's, she's addressing head on the issue of public shaming. And mm-hmm. I, and I, and I, I think that that's really important, something that we need to address. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing that's interesting about Monica Lewinsky, and this is a very catty comment that I'm about to make, but Maureen Dowd won a oh, Pulitzer for calling her a slut for like a year, right? Mm-hmm. And now Monica Lewinsky is like clearly a better writer than Maureen Dowd, which mm-hmm. I think is the very best revenge at all. Maureen Dowd is like party aunt who's like the last one at your house. And you're like, leave, Maureen. Maureen, leave. Maureen wrote the the worst thing about me in the in in the aftermath of it hers was one of the ones that I was like be, this being written about by a, a woman in the New York Times is like like I, I had a big fuck you moment that I yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I mean I think we can all at this table agree fuck Maureen Dowd when I watched the CNN panel last night even talking about the election and it was you know a pretty diverse group right you had Yang and Van Van Jones and yeah uh, and it was the one white woman on the panel. Was it who, Gloria Borger? Is that her name? Blue dress, blonde hair, oh, short know. blonde hair. Dana Bash. No. I don't know. She looked like a fox anchor, but she Dana she Bash. was okay. And she was the one who was saying, "I mean, we just really thought Warren would perform better. Yeah. I mean, her losses, it's just embarrassing." And she was using such nastiness yeah. to, to describe her campaign, which was actually winning campaign. It was because you guys fucking erased her mm-hmm. from yeah. all of your coverage. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden in this aftermath, I was listening to all these guys be like, you know, she really was just the smartest one out there. It's a real shame. And you're, you're just like, like, thanks. Yeah. Oh, where the hell were the, where the fuck were you guys? Do you Jesus. Think that, that They're only comfortable with a woman if she's down and out yep. and, yes. and, and going away. Yep. And and to that, to that point, do you think that the adage of women need to support women and women supporting women is actually doing us harm? That there's a standard that we all need to be as a monolithic community Community supporting each other, and when that fails to happen, when we don't do that for whatever reason, whether it be you know people just being nasty or mm-hmm. just genuinely not supporting another woman because they don't have the same ideology, does that ultimately hurt the movement of you know feminine feminine femininity feminism? I, I don't know if if the if the idea that we need to support other women is harmful, um, but I don't think that it's carried out. 
uh, mm-hmm. nearly as much as it should be. And a perfect example for that is in my primary, and this is the case for uh, across the board, the women who made it through their primaries, um, especially women over a certain age, really like wanted to vote for a man in the primary. And a lot of it was this like, I don't think a woman can beat Steve Knight in my Mm -hmm. case, or I don't think a woman can beat Donald Trump or whatever it might be. Um, But there's also, there's this like, there's this internalized sexism that we have and Mm -hmm. that we, we aren't, we have not even remotely fully confronted. So I think that there's a, um, that the, the notion of women supporting women, like we need to really internalize that and figure out what does that mean for us? And, and again, I do think that, the younger generation does a better job of that. We don't believe that there's just room at the top for one woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but And we're able to visualize women in leadership positions in a, in a better way. But women over 55, 55 to 70, I lost by like 25 points in the primary. Now, women, interestingly, women over 70, I think maybe who have been through mm. kind of the movement um, towards equality previously and who are like, Jesus, I can't believe that I'm in my seventies like, now. Go, and girl. Yeah. You go, girl. <laughs> yeah. So there was some, there was I did better among them and then women under fifty five, I definitely did. But like there's there's a group there. And, you know, I, I just think that there's um, we are we are harder on ourselves, including other women than mm-hmm. um than we should be. Well, I also think um Women in that age group, and I think a lot of times we see this in different industries, entertainment also, um, women in that age group really had to go through some Mm -hmm, shit to mm -hmm. get to where they are. And when they see women younger than them who don't have to go through the same shit, they're like, you didn't have to go this, you didn't have to go through, you didn't have to live your life the way that I lived my life in fear of, you know, engaging in the type of sexual relationships that I wanted to engage in. I made the decision to follow the rules. The rules have changed and now you're going to suffer the consequences for that. I think women... In the in the fifties to seventies, also weren't given the same opportunities, totally. so they don't understand that a woman that there could be intellectual mm-hmm. parity or that there could be power parity. Mm-hmm. I don't think they understand that because they were given a choice like you're going to be a, a, a waitress, a model, mm-hmm. or a hairdresser, mm-hmm. like you know, or or a teacher, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And I I feel I like model, sometimes when they yeah <laughs> you, you don't get to choose <laughs> um, that chooses you. Yeah. Uh, but I I do sometimes wonder like I put myself in their headspace and I think like what is it? What do they look at with you? And I, I think I wonder if they genuinely go, well, you must be intellectually limited because you can't, you can't possibly know as much as a man. Mm-hmm. I don't know about intellectually as much as, as, um, not educationally or, or I think it's more of, of, I really think it's like who, who they see as somebody who is in charge. Mm-hmm. And there are elements of, of leadership qualities, like, you know, frankly, risk-taking, um, uh, aggressiveness that are seen as positives in men and are very quickly seen as negatives in women. And, and to, to reconcile those two things, I think, takes, God. you know, some mental um, yeah. navigation. That is um, so true. I want to pivot really quickly to um, the <laughs> shittiness of your ex yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and the shittiness of the way that the photos came out. Um, I've seen it characterized as revenge porn. Mm-hmm. Do you believe it still to be revenge porn? And what are you doing, if anything, to 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 combat revenge porn for other women? Yeah. Or, or can you give us an overview of what of what happens if someone commits revenge porn? Yeah. Right so, now? so um, first of all, uh, we prefer the term cyber exploitation, mm-hmm. and um, that's something that I really learned about from my 
um, from my attorney, who is like the best in the country for this and who, um, you know, it's a victim's rights attorney. No, I didn't know that. Thank you for that. Yeah. 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 We're in the middle of the election time right now. But as the PAC um, kind of grows and, and continues is to put together legislative priorities around it and to work with those leaders to say, OK, this is part of the endorsement. Like, are you going to prioritize this? Are these the bills that you're going to sign on to? And um, and then how do we educate people like it's not even a crime in a lot of different places. And even now, um, we're probably we're, we don't know that he'll ever get prosecuted. And if he is it, the maximum sentence, the maximum sentence in California is six months. Mm-hmm. And you know how in California, like people yeah. serve six days for six months and yeah. if that. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm not optimistic about anything on the criminal side. Um Honestly, I just want to be divorced from the motherfucker. That's like my biggest thing. And I'm sure, not yeah. still. And so wow. um, that's like the that's the, the the biggest thing for me. But after this, actually, I'm recording um, a, a video about like what are th- what are resources for women if you if you experience this. Um, and we have to fight it. There, there are real legal battles that need to be um, to, that need to be undertaken to change the laws um, that make it that make it much harsher consequences and um, and much uh, more possible for women to even have their photos removed from online because like copyright law says that the person who took the photo owns it even if the person who's in it doesn't consent to it being used. Ooh. And so there's like, there are all kinds of messed up things around it. I think also, mean. like technologically, we're getting to a place where cyber exploitation is becoming, uh, it's it's easier to just fake this stuff. And mm-hmm. then what, mm-hmm. and what happens if, you know, you're photoshopped into a picture that yep. mm-hmm. isn't, was never even taken. It never, totally. was never real. There's just no protection. So there's an urgency there. Mm-hmm. I yeah. Think. I mm-hmm. mean, Twitter did a, is doing a half-ass thing now where they, uh, if they sense a deep fake on mm-hmm. something, they'll put a, a little decal on it or possibly remove it from the website. Um, They were just talking about this yesterday. Um, But it's still like if you're your face or it's it's purported to be you in a photo, there's not very much you can do. No. Especially if the website is hosted elsewhere. Yeah. Um, It's it seems crazy. And I think that just to kind of bring it around to what you were saying before, the complete if it's international site, you can't get it it down. Well, the complete unpreparedness of us as a country and as like a a set of states with different laws to handle the ways in which the internet and social media can be used to exploit people is a reflection of shortcomings within our elected representatives because they don't understand. And it changes so fast and the law moves so slow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even when it's, even when it's doing well, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? The, The legal system is just not And I don't think that that's necessarily always a bad thing Mm -hmm. is that, you know, I don't think that we should be able to change the law in a heartbeat. Um, But I do think that it it is not set up for regulation, especially uh, around technology. And that was actually something that I was working on when I was in Congress is is as one of the younger members. Like, how are we getting ready for, uh, you know, artificial intelligence? How Mm -hmm. are we how are we actually going to be regulating these companies? And one of the things that is is a major battle within um, within the space of cyber exploitation and, and, you know, how do we need to address this issue moving forward is it's um, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. And what it does, it's, it had nothing to do with anything related to this, but it basically it's a clause that makes it so the Internet companies are not accountable. They do they are not responsible for user content. So it allows Twitter and Facebook and every, and, you know, every other major, I guess those are the big ones now, um, to say, oh, Reddit, you know, to say that, that this isn't their responsibility. Oh, it's just users. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And and they, 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 were, they don't have any kind of liability for it. Well, the issue is that 
those companies have the fucking money mm-hmm. to really to, to to do the regulation required. And if they were the ones that could be that that could be held responsible for it, either from a regulatory standpoint or from you know litigation, mm-hmm. then um, then there would be force change. But and and so I think that that's the way to go is to actually force the companies to have responsibility. But um, you know that that means that means you're up against money because that they don't want to spend the money that way. Mm-hmm. Okay, so imagine we live in a world where we've come to terms with the fact that our politicians aren't perfect, okay? There's still going to be a moral line that we have to draw. Mm-hmm. So in your vision of, like, the future, what does sensible forgiveness look like? To me, it's taking responsibility. It's, it's Do you have somebody who who is willing to acknowledge what they've done in the past and says that this is what I'm going to do moving forward to try to, um, well, A, to make sure that I don't do it again, and B, to um, to to kind of make amends for it, right? And that's what I'm trying to do. And and I and I know, because I, I do believe, and I, you know, I'm right nearby is the place where I started my career, which was just a path, people assisting the homeless. And, um, you know, the whole principle around working with people who are, you know, who, who are experiencing mental illness or who have dealt with addiction or, or experiencing homelessness is, um, is about recovery. We have to believe in people being able to rehabilitate and, and believe that people can have a second chance. But like, are you, do you say I made a mistake? This is why maybe the why doesn't even matter, right? Like, do you even need to justify it? But like, this is, this is how I believe this is how I've learned and grown from the experience. And this is what I'm going to do moving forward. And, um, and then it's up to each person. Is that enough for you? Or do you want to see more? And and I don't know what more is like, I, I honestly want to know from people who, who, who can't forgive me now, what, what, do you want to see? And I've heard a lot of people say, especially on the right, like you, you aren't taking responsibility for it. And it's like, well, please tell me how I can more, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. Um, So I guess that's, that's to me what it is about is like, if you've, if you've done something that has been judged, has, is, 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 you know, widely believed to be morally wrong, what are you, how are you responding to that? And what are you going to do to fix it? And Mm -hmm. how can we believe that you have learned from that experience and are not going to do it again? Yeah, that's a. I mean, that's a good note to really wrap is, up yeah. on. Yeah. Katie, thank you so much for stopping thank by. You. We have Glad to take to a break, but when we come back, Sanity Corner. Yay! I need it. This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Okay, before we get to Sanity Corner, a couple little pieces of house cleaning, housekeeping. If you want to submit a hill you'll die on, you can record a 30-second voice memo on your phone and send it to hysteria at crooked.com. You can also submit your own Sanity Corner 
ideas or if you just have any feedback or thoughts on the show, hysteria at cricket.com. I will say that hate mail gets forwarded around to everybody in the company and ridiculed. So if you're going to be uh, critical, please be constructive about it. Also, if you have a question about it, navigating a tough situation at work or how to make friends as an adult, or maybe you're just looking for some life advice, you can send an email to hysteria at cricket.com with your questions. And we might answer them in our weekly video segment, Dude You Asked, which is posted on Crooked Media's socials. And then finally, the Hysteria sleep mask just got restocked on the Crooked store. It says fuck off a bunch of times on it over and over again, which I think a lot of us would like to say in our lives. Uh, And it's great for when you need your beauty sleep or to just be left alone. You can check it out at crooked.com slash store. Okay, guys, let's do Sanity Corner. And we're back. Thanks for listening to all those wonderful ads for products and goods and services you <laughs> may wish to purchase. Uh, we're going to do a segment this week called Sanity Corner. There's a lot of political news out there, and a lot of it is confusing, overwhelming, depressing, or, you know, pandemic scary. Um, so let's talk about things now that have brought us joy or that make us happy and that don't have anything to do with politics. Um, I'm going to start... Mine is a story, and it's <gasps> tangentially related to politics, um, but it's in, in a happy way. So um, I was on MSNBC on Monday, and they sent a car to come and get me, and I was running late for my hit to MSNBC. And I go out to my street, and there was a puppy in the middle of the street. <laughs> and I thought, fuck. I, the, I, I called to it. It ran over to Describe me. Describe the puppy. The puppy was, so thank you. Uh, the puppy was kind of brindle, black mm-hmm. and brown. Uh-huh. Looked like it was maybe a whippet small greyhound mix but it was definitely a mutt and ran over to me and immediately just like rolled over and showed me its belly and I was like oh my god didn't have a collar on oh no so I picked it up like a crazy person and I took it to my apartment we have this little like back deck area that has a fence that closes so I put it on the deck and like tried to block the like the gap that it could have gotten out and I was like wait here puppy (laughs) I have to go I have to go do TV so on the car ride to um, Santa Monica I was like texting my friends and one of my friends her name's Kobe um, volunteered to, to come and take you know help take care of it until I got home. And uh, I was so preoccupied with it. I was like, oh my God, I hope it's going to be okay. I hope it doesn't get out, blah, 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 blah. Were you preparing to keep puppy? I No. (laughs) We have a dog and a cat and they... No, Full the, house. the dog, house. the dog and the cat have a real uh, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar <laughs> kind of relationship, where the dog is like, "I love you, uh, more me, more me. Do you want more me?" And the cat is like, "No, uh, <laughs> for sure, do not want more you." Um, so you know, I, I caught, Kobe went over to my apartment, and I'm like all preoccupied with this puppy, you know, texting whatever. And I get there, and when I'm in the green room, Mayor Eric Garcetti of Los Angeles is in the green room, looking extremely male. Oral, yes. Uh, wearing a suit, just like very put together. And intro- I get introduced to him. And the first thing I say is, I found a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> I found a puppy on my street. I was like, so it just it seemed like there was maybe something wrong with me. Uh, so he went on the air and then I went on the air. And afterwards, I saw my friend Kobe had texted me and she had gone over to my house to get the puppy, went down to the street. And when she went down to the street, one of the neighbors was like, is that Mario? Recognized Mario, called Mario's owner because Mario had gotten out earlier that I day. Oh, Mario, I do too. Mario's mom oh, came over Mario. to get Mario and my friend Kobe texted me a picture of the two being reunited. Oh. Has a very happy ending. Was mom like, I, I, 
come on. Or was mom <laughs> like, was my like, baby? Yeah, yeah. Oh, she, okay. I'll show you the picture after this. <laughs> oh, she was Mario. like, there's the Mario's licking her face. It's very Aww. cute. Oh, Mario. Um, so as soon as I got off, you know, I, I'm in the green room about to leave, and the mayor goes, uh, how's the puppy? You know, because oh. mayors have to remember things. Yes. Like the last thing yes, that you yes. said to them, and then they repeat it back to you, because yes. that's part of being a mayor. <laughs> and I was like, oh, we found the puppy's owner. Everything's fine. And on his way out, the mayor goes, you did a good deed today. And I felt like a comic book protagonist, like a plucky young girl reporter just you out there saving, saving the city. One puppy to town. Yeah, exactly. I can't give you the key to the city, but I can give you a key to a kennel the next time you find a puppy. Yeah, so that's... Here's that's, a key or two, a mailbox. Don't... I want you to report back to me with the contents that are in it. That's a wonderful story. Yeah, so that's my so story. And the puppy is fine and everybody's happy and... Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's, that's, that's the end of my Sanity Corner. Um, Michaela, do you want to go next? Sure. Um, I love Sanity Corner. I'm all about. I'm all about <laughs> sanity. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm crazy. Um, <laughs> in my insanity corner is mm. what it looks like because it's just bags and bags of fucking yarn and knitting <laughs> needles and um, half projects and started projects. But knitting is a new thing for me. It's uh, it, I'm a novice. It's been the last couple of years. I my husband. I made a sweater recently. My husband's like, I can't believe you haven't murdered it already. <laughs> I have no patience. Wow. I'm not into like mandalas. I'm not like, let's make a thing and then destroy it. When I knit, I start something. I don't like it. I take it all apart. I've been working on it for a week and I start over. It's like bringing out this other weird fucking, you know, like zenny kind of side of me. I go into knit stores. I go into like tactile wool shops and touch all the, all the, all the wool. Look, it's everybody should do it. When I'm doing it, I feel so good. And then sometimes you just... I was on set last week and I just banged out a hat and I just turned to one of my, I just banged out a hat and it's such a cute hat. And I just turned to one of my, you know, other actors and I'm like, this is your hat. And she was so happy and she looked so cute in that hat. And, and, and I was like, we made a thing. It came off a sheep. Now it's on your head. (laughs) You know, I, I can't tell you how it got from the sheep to my bag. Like that's a whole other thing. But I always joke that if like aliens came and got me and they would say, you know, like explain the sweater, I'd be like, I don't know. (laughs) There's a sheep and then a sweater. Um, But now I understand at least how it goes from a ball of yarn into a sweater. And uh, it is... It, it it's it it's, it keeps you really sharp because you're constantly yeah. counting. You're constantly you're you're learning. You're always learning a new pattern. You're learning a new thing. There's free patterns. You can go in Ravelry and like get free patterns and uh, and just say today I'm going to make a sock and then you kind of start one and then don't finish it and then you come back you're like what was I doing and then you take it apart and you <laughs> and you salvage the wool and then because it's expensive wool that is a thing wool wool is yeah. kind of pricey but um but you know you can be smart about it and 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 make just you can make you can make one scarf for half a year if you're me so you know. That's awesome. I feel like this was a commercial for knitting. I it agree. Does. It sounds agree. like one. It sounds like one, but I'm super, I'm so, I'm so chuffed with myself that I actually <laughs> learned how to do something and, it's and followed deal. it through. And I'm, and I, and I can't believe how much I love something that is like the granny arts. You know what I yeah. mean? I can't believe how much I love it. Well, you know, the, love it. the great thing about the granny arts, like cross stitch, needle 
point, all the like quilting, whatever, mm-hmm. is that they're so feminized that they'll never be disrupted oh, by tech bros. That's like a good those point. are going to be right. ours forever. Those are ours forever. Oh. However, I will say that I, you would be surprised who knits. I have these big like big grips that come over to me and they're like, oh, I love knitting. I should it's bring my knitting. Really? Oh yes. My and I'm I like, you that. should. They're like, I'm like, How, what do you knit? Oh, I made, you know, I made a sweater for my dog and I'm like, wait, oh, that's amazing. I am not kidding. We yeah. gotta get Mario oh, a sweater. Wow, I love this. I love the knitting underground of yeah. Los Angeles. Me too. <laughs> the dark and dirty world. <laughs> Grace, do you want to go next? Um, uh, Yes. Okay, so I don't want you, Michaela, to be creeped out by this, but this morning I was thinking about my sanity corner in the shower. Okay. And I was like, what would be... Interested? Uh, <laughs> I'm intrigued. <laughs> and I was like, what's my, what have I watched recently? What have I what have I like been into? And I was like, oh my God. And it struck me that I saw the amazing movie In a World for the first time like a week ago. And oh. if you have not seen In a World, first of all, it stars the lovely and beautiful Michaela Watkins right yeah, here. Uh, it really stars Lake Bell. It's like it's Lake Bell joint who I believe wrote and directed and also stars, and in, stars it. in it. Yeah. I mean, it's a real... It, it is so funny. And I never seen it until like a week or two ago. It's so Wonderful. And I meant to text you and, and let you know that I saw it for the first time. It was amazing. And um, it's a feminist anthem, too. It, has, it, is it has everything. It, it has, has a, a father-daughter story. So it has a, a strong and fully realized female characters that don't wow. feel feel, feel yeah. a lot of hokey. What a stacked cast, what by the way. It? In a world. In a world. In a world. It's about the voiceover industry. And yeah. just inc- right. it's so cool. funny. And it's so... The voiceover industry is the backdrop to a woman who's breaking into a male-dominated industry. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't believe I hadn't seen it. By the way, my fiance, straight white dude, was the one who recommended it, Aww. and he also had seen it before, and he loved it. So it's not one of those, you know, like oh, it's a feminist movie, whatever, <laughs> girls. No, it's, <laughs> it is universal. It is really, really funny. I'm delighted that I finally got a chance to watch it, and I guess I think of Michaela in the shower. Nice. Thank you. That's, good. That's the nicest thing anybody has ever said. To me. Um, Katie Hill, bring us home with your sanity corner. So I've been thinking about this too, and I was like, I feel like I have so many different things that I would want to talk about. The one, the, so last night I was I was hanging out with a couple friends and um, this one is just really funny and it mm-hmm. brought me joy and I feel like I'm going to think about this is I'm stressing out in other in other situations. So I've never gone to this person's house before and you go upstairs and the first thing you see is a jackalope like the head of a jackalope <laughs> going up the stairs. <laughs> That's huh. not how I expected that sentence. To no, 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 no. This, it is, it, and then and then you go into the bathroom and you, there's a stuffed rooster, like like a this is like a taxidermy rooster in the bathroom. So I feel, I'm like, you have to explain this. Like why why is there a jackalope and like this is not a hunter. This is not a person that like you would expect this from at all. And he's like, well, it's a funny story. Um, I the, I went through a bad breakup a couple years ago, and I decided that I was going to buy the weirdest thing I could find on the internet. And <laughs> I'm like, okay, great. And uh, to shorten the story, um, the thing that he found on the internet was a stuffed bison, like full-sized bison (laughs) in Oregon. And he brought it from Oregon. And I'm like, okay, so where is, do you have the bison still? He's like, oh yeah, it's down in the garage. (laughs) So we go downstairs and there's a stuffed bison. And he's like, yeah, I just started this thing and now I've got a bunch of taxidermy animals. Oh my God. And like, they weren't creepy. Like normally taxidermy, like these are all animals that just died somehow and got stuffed and he ended up with them. And it's just like, I feel like I should be really weirded out by this, but there was something, there was something almost like, I don't know, uh, 
profound and like yeah. there's all this death, but it's not. I don't. I don't know. There was something weird about it, but <laughs> but other than that, um, I've been watching. I've been sort of binging um, Sex in the City from the oh, beginning. The best. Yeah, the yeah. best. My yeah, happy yeah. place. Yeah, I will. I will. I will watch any rerun of Sex in the City in any hotel room hmm. all night long rather than go out. So I hadn't actually like watched it from start to finish before. So um, oh, wow, um, yeah. it really tells a tale. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm now watching it with like a like a different eye, right? Like, wow, this yeah. was 20 years, yeah, I guess mm-hmm. it's 20 years ago, yeah. right, more. And um, like the, how how does this hold up with feminism as it is now? So. Yeah, I what, think, yeah, it's, we could do a whole show. On oh my God. You can we, you should come we, back for that. Can yeah. we, totally. can we, totally. can we, <laughs> <laughs> really, here's oh, Katie Hill to talk about nothing to do with politics. <laughs> but Carrie Bradshaw, only, go. We're only, what well, was your, what was your takeaway from, well, I'm not done, oh, but, okay. but there's, are reserving judgment. Yeah, I, I, um, I just don't love Mr. Big. No, oh, no but but we all either. like sort of rooted for him, yeah. right? We all rooted for a rich guy. Get, end up with the rich guy, you know, know. He's like shit. Well, then Aiden kind of stepped in, and he was boring, and everybody yeah. was like, "End up with the boring guy." Yeah. <laughs> I, I just want to close with my bonkers theory of Sex in the City. Have you gotten mm-hmm. to the part with Trey and Charlotte yet? Mm-mm, I don't think so. Okay, well, there is a. She has a future. Like entanglement well, yeah. with a with this isn't really a spoiler with a guy who's played by Kyle MacLachlan, mm-hmm. um, and he has like erectile dysfunction in this um, in the story and a dominant mother. Yeah, my theory is that that Kyle MacLachlan is Agent Cooper forever, and so all of Sex in the City takes place in the Black Lodge <laughs> from Twin Peaks, and that's why his dick doesn't work oh because God. he's too traumatized. But that's yeah. Anyway, so that's wow. my. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, I love I it. I mean, it's real. That's re- Kevin in Home Alone is dead. All of Sex in the City takes place in the Black Lodge. These are real things. Wait, I've oh not God. heard that Kevin in Home Alone. Oh, is I wrote a dead. whole piece. What on it for did the you Daily really? Beast. Yes, I, I need did. to it's read hysterical. this. I can't believe I didn't know this. Yeah. Okay, Grace, Michaela, and Katie Hill. Thank you so much for coming yeah, by thank today. You. Thank you to Alyssa Master Monaco for calling in, and thanks to you for listening. There will be more hysteria next week. Hysteria is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support, and to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadina Malconian for filming and editing our video content every week. This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD, streaming audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring. Full throttle is half the fun. Where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland. Somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com.